Welcome to the audio for my book, When We Were Young, 20s Edition, The Journey of Owning Our Story Together. I'm so thankful you're here. Chapter Zero, Year 20. A crisper than normal fall evening in Texas greeted me as I exited my red brick college townhome. My feet pounded over familiar patterns of pavement, giving pace to my breath as I set on course for another training run. My mind wandered. This was going to be my first half marathon. I was excited about this event, but I was also considering checking myself in for a psych eval. Why would someone agree to run 13.1 miles at one time? Surely not for enjoyment. Only people who wake up and choose violence would engage in such continual torture. Yet here I was, running miles and miles weekly in preparation to finish my debut race experience, booked to stroll across the finish line with my mother. My mom, an avid violence chooser slash veteran race participant, was going to complete this race with me through College Station, Texas. So I knew I had to take this training thing seriously to aid in shielding me from some potential embarrassment and shame for me and my household. Weirdly enough, there were times I actually found the rhythm of these runs kind of therapeutic. I know, I know. We've all heard it before, and it still makes me sick to even say it. But I'd be lying to claim there weren't times that running was semi-enjoyable. As my breathing grew stronger and my stamina increased, my body understood that it could actually do this. Watching myself prove that tenacious strength over and over gave me great motivation when discipline wanted to take a back seat. Let's be clear, though. Most of the time, I did in fact feel like I was dying and desired the heated hellscape to end. Back to my evening jog. Very shortly into this normal running course, I came to a four-way intersection that would force what I can only describe as the runner's tap dance. You know the one, where joggers are waiting to cross the road, but they don't want to stop the running momentum out of sheer fear that they may not be able to start the engine up again. Enter the tap dance. Just as I thought I could die from the embarrassment of being that running girly, waiting for the crosswalk to beckon me across, the light changed, signaling it was my turn to cross. I got about three steps into my sprint across the lanes when in my peripheral vision I saw a car making what is clearly an illegal left turn. In fact, it was illegal because I had the right of way to pass through this intersection and they were supposed to wait. As I started to turn my head to see more clearly the reality I was dreading, I locked eyes with a bewildered and panicked driver. Fear framed her face, but rather than slamming on the brakes when she saw me, she proceeded to press on the gas. My whole left side was thrust upward and atop the hood and windshield of the sedan. A shock coursed through my entire body. After the immediate impact, I continued to move with the car as it flew onward until I rolled off the side of the vehicle, landing flat-backed on the cool, hard ground beneath me. Truly, the scene unfolded as if Tom Cruise had signed me to act as his stunt double in a Mission Impossible film. I remember laying there on the ground for just long enough to realize my eyes were closed. Consciously, I asked myself, am I dead? As I peeled open my eyes to discover I was still very much alive. I began to pat my legs and arms frantically as I thought, am I broken? Is everything in the same place as it was before? To my delight, I found we were intact. My next reaction was, Megan, 
get up out of the road as adrenaline rushed through my veins and gave me the strength to make my way onto the nearby grass. I just got hit by a car. Like what? What in the actual just happened to me? The shock was apparent as I finally started to notice that several cars, including a Texas A&M transportation bus, and pedestrians were staring at me in my distress. How was I supposed to respond now? I felt fine. I wasn't dead. Maybe I should just keep running? That seemed logical. It was not logical. The moment I decided that fleeing the scene would be best, an angel dressed as a kind nurse stranger jumped out of her truck and ran towards me with deep concern. Ma'am, hi, I'm a nurse and I just witnessed that whole episode. I think you need to sit down and let us call an ambulance. About this time, the driver of the almost hit and run came over to me as well to make sure I was okay. She was overwhelmingly frazzled, which encouraged me to lean into the narrative that everything really was fine. I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm just around the corner from my house. I'm just going to go home. I repeated this until I had firmly convinced not only myself, but everyone around me who seemed to be concerningly staked at the scene. However, Sweet nurse stranger would not allow me to run home. She all but shoved me into her car to give me a ride. Even as I was midway through closing her vehicle door, she exclaimed, Are you sure I can't take you to the hospital? To which I conclusively replied, No, I promise I'm fine. Dismiss until it all diminishes, right? That was the solution. That's all I knew to do. In that same principle, pervaded a shocking amount of my life. That's what I was doing with an unexpectedly difficult roommate slash living situation, one in which I felt completely unwelcomed, hurt, and misunderstood, and in which I saw no actual room for the resolution of deep conflict. Dismiss until it diminishes was my antidote to the immense shame I felt for not excelling at the level I desired academically especially after I had performed so well in my high school years. It was also the suppression tactic I used to filter feelings of purposelessness as I came back from a life-changing summer of serving the Lord internationally and then found myself walking around the campus of Texas A&M wondering if any of it actually mattered when people were dying of starvation every single day. Dismiss until it diminishes. That was the key to keeping up my glee when feeling a lack of community made me want to weep. When tears of loneliness filled my eyes as I sat in my room by myself in a home where I wished I didn't live. That was how I reconciled the unmet expectations of my college experience. These years were supposed to be the best of my life, yet they kept feeling like some of the hardest. How I coped when experienced fun and felt failure kept waging war for my affections. Just keep telling yourself you're fine, and eventually you will be. Conceal. Don't feel. That's what I kept telling myself after the accident. Yet, as the shock and adrenaline began to subside, pain began to rise. A few days after the accident, x-rays revealed that there was indeed a need for concern. A fractured wrist was put into a cast. This was a solution that would give my body space and time to heal. As I was driven home by Kristen, a woman I barely knew from a church I had just started attending, this woman spoke something surprising in the midst of my silence. Megan, I just want to tell you that I'm honored you called me to be with you today. 
I know the accident had to be so scary and really must have shaken you up. I just want you to know that it's okay to not be okay. I wish I could have believed her. What she said sounded so good, so freeing. And yet, here I was, still believing that I needed to be the strong one and push through because that was less intimidating than allowing myself to break, than allowing myself to feel, well, anything. I didn't expect to be walking through the struggles I was facing, and I had firmly deduced that no one else could know because no one else would care or understand. In some ways, it's like the car hitting me was an awful affirmation that I could be hiding in plain sight. I could be in the room and not be seen. I could be present and not be known. I could be traveling through life and all of a sudden be hit in ways I never expected and have no idea how to get up and start running again. The advice from Kristen could have served me so well as these places and spaces I wrestled with daily continued to weigh achily in my heart, mind, and soul. The permission to release I could have felt as I carried the burdening internal struggles with my roommates, lack of purpose, grades, no community, things that all perpetuated my isolation. The comfort of relief available apart from the wails I cried in my car as I sat in a loneliness that was so, so deep. I just needed to know I wasn't alone. I needed to truly believe that it was okay to not be okay. That who I was and where I was in life was more than enough, had incredible value, and was richly purposeful. I needed to know that I didn't have to journey through the muck and mire of this thing called college alone. That I wasn't meant to run this race of endurance by myself. Eventually, my mom took my freshly healed hand slash wrist and we crossed the marathon finish line in victory together. In a rushing moment, I knew I wasn't alone. I felt reminded that I didn't have to go through the rest of life alone either. I could experience the peaceful comfort of communal connection that comes from doing life alongside one another. Or I could just go on another run. And for a while, that's all I did. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Chapter Zero, Year 20 of When We Were Young, 20s edition, the journey of owning our story together. Let's jump into the bonus. So in this chapter, I mentioned about a trip that I went on the summer before this year. And I wanted to talk just a little bit more about that life-changing summer. So I went on a trip the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college called Global Journey. And that trip truly changed my life. It was a trip that I was on for 60 days and I was with a team of 10 people and we went to five different countries on four different continents and spent anywhere from seven to 11 days in each country. And in each of these places, we were partnering with people who lived there and worked day in and day out um, in this field and just got to love and serve people of different backgrounds and cultures and beliefs. And it was, it expanded my worldview so much. I tell people that was the beginning of 
my box being expanded of I hadn't even realized that I had put God in this uh, American sized box. And I realized after that trip that God was the God of the world. And my uh, first experience in really like a cross-cultural worship service was I was in, um, I was in Asia and I was in an underground church and I was worshiping alongside an Asian brother and we were singing a song that we both knew and he was singing it in his language and I was singing it in mine, but we were worshiping the same God. And it impacted me so, so immensely. And throughout this summer, I mentioned I was with a team of 10 people and we lived day in and day out every moment alongside one another. So you can imagine we not only got incredibly, incredibly close, but there were also times that we very much got on each other's nerves. (laughs) Um, When you are living and doing life and working alongside one another with no break from each other, it uh, becomes a lot. (laughs) But Truly, even to this day, almost 10 years later, well, no, 10 years later, wow, old, uh, we are still connected and we have a bond that is for a lifetime. And so I think coming out of that summer of just intense, deep, all the time community with these 10 people and then moving into uh, a housing situation in college that was hard And moving back into a college setting where I experienced shame because academically I wasn't performing as well or didn't really have a solid set of community that I was operating in day in and day out. It just made the isolation and the hurt that I was feeling so much deeper because it was so contrasted between the summer that I had just had to the reality that I was walking in every single day. Um, And so, yeah, that gives a little bit more context and background to why uh, year 20 in that story specifically just is wrapped up with this sense of feeling alone and isolated because I had just months before lived a summer where there were probably times I wanted to be alone and literally couldn't get away from people even if I wanted to. Um, So experiencing the tension of that contrast was Um, such a through line of what I experienced in that year. Thanks for listening, y'all. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to continue receiving the episode drops for the book and bonus. If you haven't bought the book, it's out now on Amazon. So go grab it. See you next time. And until then, let's keep owning our stories together.